Okay, so what happens when a patient comes to pilot.com.au? It's basically they choose the area of health they need, sexual health, hair, herpes, whatever, and they create a medical profile. So sign up, email, log in. They answer a long questionnaire, a long medical questionnaire, which we've designed with the help of um, our GPs. They pay $20 and that gets submitted to one of our GPs. The GP within 24 hours will review it and from there, the doctor can then kick off a text-based back and forth conversation with the patient. Uh, in the case that it's suitable and safe to do telehealth, the doctor will create a treatment plan, uh, which inclu- includes a script. That's Charlie Gearside. He's one of the founders of a men's health platform called Pilot. It seems it's no longer Netflix and chill, but rather Netflix and pill. Because there's no need anymore as a young man to see a GP face-to-face, these new services means that you can text a doctor from the comfort of your couch. Welcome back to the Medical Republic. I'm Francine Crimmins. And I'm Felicity Nelson. Pilot is just one of many telehealth services which is addressing specific men's health concerns such as hair loss, erectile dysfunction, sleep problems and mental health. In this episode, we're taking a deep dive into this world of online GP services and finding out some of the major concerns that people have for these companies, but also at the same time, what gap in the market they're striving to fill. So do you want to start at the beginning? What's the story? So the reason why I came across what I like to call bro medicine is because one day I was looking online and I came across one of these websites for men's health and it was quite eye-catching. Yeah, I remember Francine showed it to me. Um, it had a lot of marketing material with men who had these beautiful hipster beards with lots of flowers in them. And I thought that was quite uh, millennial looking. Yeah, it's kind of like this really hipster health feeling and everyone's, you know, swishing their hair and smiling. And uh, I guess it all makes up part of this bro medicine trend. So you've mentioned bro medicine. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that means? Yeah, so I mean, this is a term that I've just coined around the office, uh, but to put it in context, so my favorite example is this clinic in New York, and basically they were looking for these innovative ways to get more men through the door. Uh, So let's say that the problem that you were trying to solve, Felicity, is that, you know, how do I attract more men to my health clinic? Hmm, okay. Um, Maybe make it really easy to connect with your doctor. Uh, and make it seem really cool. That would help. Uh, and maybe locate it inside a gym. <laughs> that's all I can think of. <laughs> that's but not you a know, bad idea, right? That's not a bad idea because that's actually, you're kind of on the right track. So I don't know who created this idea, but they basically uh, decided to bring in the designers and they're like, right, okay, we're going to bring in some comfy couches, flat screen TVs all over that wall, and then we're going to fill all the other blank space with wait for it, not prevention posters or anything else that you'd usually see in a clinic, Uh, but instead it's covered in sporting paraphernalia from all of these local sports teams. Can you play video games? That's the big question. Uh, I didn't find that one out. (laughs) But basically you wouldn't think that this is a doctor's office. It It sounds like more of a man cave. Yeah, or a sports bar, right? And so did it work? Did it bring in more patients? I couldn't actually find much on how successful it was. There was just so much hype of this, you know, blatant masculine clinic. It's it's like the most stereotypical thing of what do men want? 
this, you know? <laughs> so I couldn't actually find any stats on how successful it was. Um, but I can imagine it would maybe appeal to a certain clientele uh, who maybe wouldn't otherwise go see a doctor. So we're starting to see this model crop up in Australia, but um, your feature that you wrote is talking more about how this is happening in the virtual space. Yeah, so in Australia, we have all these online startups moving into men's health and men are basically being swamped online with all of these advertisements for these different online services and they offer things like real doctors and real treatments and this is from the instant that you enter kind of any SEO in their catchment. So the second that you type in erectile dysfunction or uh, how to know if you need Viagra, et cetera, et cetera, uh, these companies have great marketing targets and you will get an ad for one of these services. The advertising of these different companies focuses on a very niche suite of issues. So as you were saying before, it's hair loss, erectile dysfunction, sleep problems, herpes in some of them, mental health. And in many ways, they actually capitalize on this relative reluctance of men and particularly younger men uh, to attend GP surgeries. And this is compared to women. So to put some stats on that, I was looking up the AIHW and they reported that almost 20% of Australian men felt that they had to wait an unacceptable amount of time uh, to get an appointment with their GP every year. So why do men want these specific services? So a lot of men said that they were turning to these private companies that were offering these on-demand GP services via telehealth because, number one, it's instant, but it's also highly discreet. And you can imagine for some of these issues, uh, many of them are quite personal. And another dynamic that happens with these companies is that you get your consult through telehealth with a GP, and then many of these companies have a partnership with a home delivery pharmacy. And these pharmacies will then discreetly deliver to your home any medication that is prescribed during the consult with your GP. Well, yeah, that sounds really convenient. But um, aren't some of these companies known to be quite dodgy? Um, So I'm thinking about those peptide clinics, which got in trouble from the TGA for offering treatments to men online. Yeah, so I think that's one of the first things that people think of. And there is a distinction in these different companies. So when I talk about the broification of men's health, if you like, it's basically existed in different forms for decades. And unfortunately, this has often been by these unscrupulous companies and operators that are presenting a facade that they employ trained medical um, professionals. And really what they are is purely entrepreneurial and trying to sell medication to people and bypass some of those laws that we have for a reason. Uh, that are enforced by the TGA. And there were some cases recently, right? Yeah, so you're probably thinking the one that happened in July last year. So the federal court offered Peptide Clinics Australia that you mentioned before, they had to actually pay the Commonwealth 10 million. And this was because they were breaching the advertising standard laws where they were offering labeled prescription medication directly to the public. And The other thing is that the Department of Health said that what they were doing was giving the impression that medical practitioners were involved in the business and that consumers were led to think that those practitioners were acting in their best interest. You probably remember, though, the when if you were driving down the freeway in like the mid 2000s, the big yellow billboards. I think that this is the men's 
dodgy clinic that often comes to mind oh they were so inappropriate (laughs) yeah and they got so many complaints so these were the yellow billboards that screamed out across the street want sex longer (laughs) yeah um, things like that yeah and basically it was like another basically pest company which was basically just financially motivated to get men to come on board I believe that there were no doctors involved with that either. Very effective marketing, though. Until they were banned in 2008 by the Advertising Standards Bureau. Right. So, okay, a couple of dodgy examples there, but um, they're not all bad, right? There are some good operators in this space. Exactly. So in more recent years, the startups that are offering these online consults and discrete scripts, number one, they've learned from all of these past companies that have tried to break the rules and done it in the wrong way. And increasingly, they're also marketing themselves as, you know, actually being genuine medical services and they're using skilled GPs. And basically, their focus is actually using state-of-the-art technology to ensure that there's a high level of patient safety, which didn't exist before we had these great platforms. I guess if we look at Australia, some of the newest players in this space include one company called Mosh and another called Pilot, which you heard at the top of the show. So both of these companies, they employ Australian GPs who perform the telehealth consults with patients. So both of these different companies work in a similar way. First of all, you actually have to pay an upfront fee because they're both private services around about $20. Then you'll be contacted by a GP on their service quite quickly. In Pilot's case, it's a text-based consult, which is quite different. And I have never um, seen that happen before. I'm not uh, sure exactly what Mosh does, but I believe that it's a little bit more call-centric. And then basically if the GP thinks that the patient is eligible, they can go through, they can create a treatment plan. And then, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of these have a pharmacy relationship with an online pharmacy. So the script gets sent to that uh, pharmacy and then the packages of medication get delivered to the door. Uh, One thing is that it can be massively lucrative. So both these companies have been modelled off this UK-based company, and which is called Hims. And early last year, it got something like a $1 billion valuation from investors, uh, which is massive for quite an early startup. Uh, so yes, if the Australian market goes the same way, they're in a very, very good position. So they don't have any sort of Skype-style consultations is that what you're saying? They just have a text-based consultation? Yes, that's correct. So before really? the... Yeah, huh. so that's one thing that I guess people have a lot of reservations about. But at the same time, the patient has to fill out this incredibly detailed form when they sign up as a new patient, which is not dissimilar to what some other practices in face-to-face consults make you fill out. And doctors that I spoke to seem to think that this was actually done quite well and thoroughly. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's a radical, it's a radical idea. Yeah. Cause there's a lot that you can see from just facial expressions. Um, exactly. Yeah. But so interesting. Yeah. So you're totally right. And these little red flags were eating away at me as well. And also, as you said, that's a lot of money in that business. Um, and particularly if they've got financial ties to pharmacy. Yeah. You could see some conflicts potentially cropping up, maybe? Yeah, so Mosh, for example, is run by like two ex-people that worked at Tinder as well. So they're not health professionals. The people that run these companies are from an external kind of marketing entrepreneurial point of view. So it's not 
it's a very different approach to health. Mm, Tinder, that's exactly where I want to go for GP advice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what you're saying is right. And obviously one thing that people are massively concerned about is patient safety. And some health professionals did express their reservations to me when I chatted to them, both on and off the record. And most, however, though, came to this point where they actually conceded, you know what, though, it's actually a trend, uh, whether it's a troubling one or not, that men would rather talk to a GP virtually than face to face because some of these problems are really embarrassing or they don't know that they can bring them up in a regular run of the mill consult. Do they do that with mental health as well? There's no Skype, it's just online. Yeah, so mental health is also online, but one stipulation with that, because I asked a GP that, if you're having a consult via text about mental health that goes south very quickly, the GP has all of the person's details in front of them. So there has been cases before where they can call the patient straight away, especially in the case of mental health, because some people might be in a crisis situation. And that's not dissimilar to one of the GPs said, to the same way that Lifeline helps some people out of hours when a GP actually isn't open or around. So in some ways, they didn't seem too concerned about that. And they also have all the other patient details on their form as well. Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think it could go either way, but it's definitely a new thing that we haven't seen before. So Felicity, I sat down with two of the co-founders of Pilot, one of the Australian companies, Charlie Gearside and Tim Doyle, and they chatted a little bit about their company and what they're trying to achieve. My name's Tim, I'm one of the founders, and... I'm Charlie, also one of the founders. And what led you into this space? Uh, so Charlie and I's background is in uh, software companies and marketing. So we saw, um, along with our co-founder, Benny, we saw... Um, some of the statistics around uh, men's health, kind of uh, both attendance, both like primarily mental health, but also like attendance at the doctor and like um, integration into the into the health system, and thought, oh, if we can build a smooth online transactional uh, interface for people to interact with the medical community, perhaps we can make a difference on um, on some of those rates and a business that kind of also does well. Uh, and so we started building Pilot. And how often? Will a GP through this text-based service actually refer a patient on to a physical GP, say in their local area? Uh, so it varies. It varies greatly between uh, both physicians, uh, then also conditions, um, and then just generally different situations. So uh, we leave it completely up to the doctor um, in order to make a decision on what, whether they choose to pass on to a local GP or not. But I think generally, uh, when the condition suits like needs a physical examination, we've been very um, positive with doctors and made it easy for them to pass on to people uh, in the community and ones that have been have a track record of being supportive of men's health issues. And this is a tricky one. Do you happen to know what the duration of the scripts are that doctors will often provide to patients before they have to come back and consult again? Yeah, it, what we're finding is that it most commonly hovers around the six-month mark, um, sometimes shorter. Um, in the case of hair loss, I think sometimes longer. Again, we leave that up to the doctor. Um, but yeah, that seems, seems to be the patterns we're seeing. I did want to ask you guys, some people worry about safety and telehealth and especially prescribing younger patients medication that traditionally they would have to see a doctor in person. What are the obstacles that you are having to overcome in this area to convince people that it's yeah. safe and effective? 
Uh, I think it's an extremely valid question. And I think like fundamentally what we've had to do is build a platform that is going to last the test of time. And therefore to do that, we have to be like super, like think super deeply about how, what it actually means to prescribe things on online and do treatment on planning online. And I think that means firstly, we focus very narrowly. So we've tried to, I think a lot of the telehealth models that you've seen develop in Australia over the last decade or 15 years have tried to replicate the GP experience in terms of breadth. And um, we don't think that's possible. We think in reality, uh, there is a huge gamut of conditions that can only really be properly dealt with in a physical examination environment. And so we've tried to remain very narrow about what we do um, and then build deep experiences around very specific conditions where uh, a, the pre-questioning and like the uh, discussion around mental health and those kind of things has been the, the fundamental part of this, the experience. And I think like obviously the one uh, like physical examination element that's really important is that people get their blood pressure taken um, for some of these conditions and I think what we've tried to do there is push them to a pharmacy um, stop the consult and make sure that the doctor has the opportunity to uh, request the required information so our main thinking on that has been uh, to leave it with the responsibility of the doctor and to make it easy for them to pause the consult and make sure that the right information is provided and I think there's an element of trust that you then need to take with the patient as well. What is the most common uh, health concern that people come to telehealth with? Well, I think like the most common health concern among the demographic that we are operating within is definitely issues around mental health. And I think, uh, so the approach that we've taken a pilot is to provide a whole lot of guides written by young men for young men that summarize uh, either the literature or the perspectives of psychologists on things that drive mental health issues. So whether that's alcohol, uh, gambling, things related to employment. And we see, we when we made these, we thought these would be a, like, a useful addition to like the the toolkit that we can provide to people and it turns out that they've been in hugely well engaged um materials and we we see an enormous number of people coming to the platform to engage with the guides um to read about things like you know what to do when you lose your job um and then also we have a relationship with an online psychology platform called listen and we're passing quite a few people through to that as a mechanism to get uh, psychological help online as well as uh, you know the more physical things that we tend to deal with Thanks for chatting with us. Hey, thanks for having us, Francine. So it was great to get that perspective from people that are actually, you know, pioneering this new frontier of doing medicine online and in a way that the health department isn't doing. They were really open and honest and they answered all my questions. Uh, so it was good to actually get that perspective in this feature. So I imagine that a lot of men's health issues could be quite complex. Um, so how are these clinics dealing with that issue so that was another question I thought of and I picked up the phone and called someone who has a lot of experience in men's health doing it face to face and I thought of Dr Michael Lowy who's uh, based in Surrey Hills actually quite close to us and he talked a little bit about how complex some men's health issues can be so even if you're talking about a sexual problem that doesn't even stop with the person in front of you there could be a partner involved that you need to involve in the consult or ask your patient whether they want to bring their partner into the consult and there's so many other things you know it could be that you need to engage other allied health into this patient's journey as well the other thing michael lowe was actually concerned about in these systems is that some patients might not understand this financial relationship that they're getting themselves into because as i mentioned these online services you're signing on to a subscription then for your medication because it comes through that partnered online pharmacy that's a problem because it's not like you can say to your doctor oh yep yeah, can i have the script and then you walk down the road to chemist warehouse that's 
tied up and it has to go through the system so you also can't really negotiate on price or anything and you're signed up to you know whatever it is 49.95 a month for whatever your hair loss treatment regime is and from what I understand they operate all in generics so they can make a profit margin so how does that subscription model work is it even legal to do that yeah, so it's it's legal to do that and you would find that the scripts are shorter term just like they are in real life and then I imagine that at some point you would need to then go back and consult again to get the doctor to write a new script. It wouldn't be infinite prescription. But in this equation, I have to say the doctors are totally separate. So these doctors are being employed by the company and paid for their hours that they do. And it's not as if they're being incentivized in any way to prescribe certain things. And I talked to a GP who works for one of these services and he made that quite clear that he feels he has full clinical autonomy, which I'll talk a little bit about later in the show. Mm, and that's, that's quite an important point, I think. You know, Pilot says that they're being very vigilant about only accepting patients that are suitable for telehealth and they admit freely that this isn't everyone. So Francine, these men's health clinics, um, are they popular among consumers? What's some of the feedback that the clinics have been getting? Yeah, so I spent a little bit of time stalking out their comment section on the website and overwhelmingly a lot of it is quite positive and the things that people are saying is that they're really appreciative that they can have such a private experience Uh, and then on top of that they obviously don't have to, you know, stand in line awkwardly at the pharmacy and have... Uh, you know, where someone says Viagra out loud and everyone hears it. Uh, and I mean, if you don't live in a country town, this probably isn't a big deal because you might go very anonymously to a pharmacy. But I can tell you that if you live in a country town, the pharmacist is probably, you know, your high school teacher's brother or your parents' lifetime friend. Uh, so it can be a very embarrassing experience for you. The GPs told me that they were experiencing this massive level of patient honesty that they weren't getting in face-to-face consults. So young men being very honest via text or phone or however the different uh, company conducted the consult, you know, very honest about their drug-taking habits and their sex lives and their alcohol consumption, which we know that people might skirt around or hide the truth a little bit in real life. Wow, that's so interesting. So in normal appointments face-to-face, men wouldn't bring those kinds of issues up is that what the GP said it was a comparison so one of the GPs said you know face to face you ask the same questions but obviously when you're staring someone in the eyes they're not going to say oh yeah I frequently drink half a bottle of vodka a night and then go to work the next day it's probably a little bit harder to admit to face to face but via text it's you know you don't know this person they're not going to give you a disapproving look so maybe that was the reason for honesty, but the honesty they found was more frequent online. I guess that kind of makes sense, yeah. So Francine, can we talk a little bit more about whether what's happening is really best practice in terms of how telehealth consults are recommended to be conducted? Yeah, I did want to look into this and particularly what the RACGP had to say about telehealth. I guess sometimes it comes back to that old golden rule that safe and effective healthcare isn't necessarily the same as convenience. Uh, despite what consumers may think. The RACGP position statement on telehealth is quite clear in that it recommends that these services should be provided by the patient's usual GP, which is different to the model that exists at the moment online. 
And the other kind of stipulations is that the patient has a stable and ongoing relationship with their general practice and that, you know, it should only be provided when appropriate, which we talked a little bit about before. One of the other things is that it complements traditional consultation methods. So it's not an either or. It's very much that ideally you would have a patient that comes to you at regular intervals and then you do telehealth to supplement the existing model rather than replace so with these clinics they're starting off with telehealth which is kind of that seems a little bit different to what you're describing where it's part of routine care yeah exactly and the RCGP also said that you know one of the biggest risks associated with telehealth in that context um, can actually be reduced by the doctor having a prior knowledge of the patient and their history and also on top of that access to their complete medical records which you know can happen in a practice even if you see a different doctor they often work off the same programs but uh yes I would imagine that it is quite difficult if you're seeing a doctor via telehealth for the first time but then on top of that we're talking about quite young people and most young people already in real life shop GPs quite a lot uh so you could be seeing a GP that has none of your prior history either so that's kind of a counter argument for that Yeah, I I mean, I can't see why it wouldn't work as long as you were doing it properly, Um, particularly for younger people. Online interactions basically, uh, we live and breathe in the digital space, so it kind of makes sense for us to put these interactions online, maybe. Absolutely. I've done entire jobs uh, remotely for companies that have been in different states or even overseas, and I think younger people are often very thorough with online communication. Yeah, and sometimes they allow you to communicate in slightly different ways, you know, like you're kind of more frank in some situations. Just I think like younger people are just more comfortable with digital communication. It feels like holistic care. So one GP, Dr. Mac Vickers, he's also an inner city GP in Sydney. And he said that really working for the telehealth company, uh, he works for Pilot. He said that at first he was hesitant um, and that's mainly because he was unsure if he could ensure patient safety on the platform. But he said that, you know, within a couple of months, he was actually really pleasantly surprised, uh, firstly, by how comprehensively patients were actually filling out the pre-consult info forms. And they also were actually very actively participating in the text-based back and forth consult. Um, And he said, you know, there were some rare cases where perhaps a patient may need some extra prompting to get the answers that you need. But he said that's not that dissimilar sometimes to when you're engaging with a young person in a face-to-face consult, just in terms of interpreting questions and not getting the answer that you need and having to push a little bit harder. You also said these companies may be providing some protection to consumers uh, from counterfeit pharmacies. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so the best example for this right now is a bit of an uh, embarrassing one, but please go ahead and do your own research on this. So open a browser of your choice, and if you just type in uh, something to the effect of buy Viagra online, no prescription, and if you want to get even more specific, just add you know the country India to the end of that or Indonesia, and you'll get a whole suite of these uh, online pharmacies that basically sell counterfeit pills. I'm not sure exactly how they get them, whether it's people that work in the factories that manage to skim a few off the um, production line or if they're bought and then resold uh, the 
specifics of that I wasn't able to find out but basically these companies unlike the men's telehealth services they're entirely in the business of selling medication directly to consumers and of course this has so many risks in this practice Um, some people have said that these medications either contain not enough or too much of active ingredients and you know you've got the whole other problem that there's no doctor in that equation so if you're not suitable for the medication you could really uh, be doing yourself a disservice but unfortunately because they're online they can come up first uh, well as these men's telehealth companies in some ways intervening in this searching behavior so that you know if you start to put your men's health into problems into google it's highly likely that you are going to get one of these legitimate companies that employs real australian gps and you will at least be getting a consult before accessing pharmaceuticals so in that way it's actually providing a defense for this whole other (laughs) legal drug ring that's happening on the internet i haven't heard of that happening in other countries yeah so apparently it did used to be a thing as well this you know online black market in the UK and also in New Zealand for quite some time, but the government cottoned on quite quickly. They worked out that the solution was to actually downschedule uh, Viagra and some other Viagra-like medications. And so suddenly you could purchase it over the counter. So it totally removed the incentive to be looking for it online without a prescription. Uh, But in Australia, the TGA actually rejected the latest application to have a similar thing happen here. And so, Yes, there's no hope at the moment that erectile dysfunction drugs will be reclassified. And this was because the TGA said that it was unsure if the risks surrounding these drugs could actually be managed in the pharmacy setting. So my perspective on this at the end was that, at the very least, these telehealth services are actually playing a role in helping, you know, to mitigate some of the risks of men that are sourcing uh, pharmaceutical products on the internet. So where does that leave us then? So at the end of the day, I know a lot of GPs would like to reclaim the market and have all these men uh, come to -to face-to-face consults. But from what I'm hearing, this would actually mean being able to offer the same type of service, so telehealth, which is apparently what the patients want. And we know that this is a pain because it's not rebatable. So at the moment, patients have no choice but to go to these uh, private services, uh, whether GPs uh, endorse them or not. So in a nutshell, that's why these companies are able to thrive and they can offer services to patients out of hours in a way that uh, GPs I know would love to provide, but unfortunately at the moment with the MBS can't. Yeah, because there are only a couple of uh, MBS item numbers for telehealth, right? So doctors can't always uh, rebate it. Exactly. And therefore the Monash restricted areas, so very rural, remote Australia. And then there's all these other stipulations around them that, you know, it's with your ongoing GP and that I think you have to see your GP quite a few times a year in order to continuously be eligible for these item numbers in the first place. So it isn't really mirroring what we're talking about with these private services either. Where we are at the moment, though, Felicity, is that there's no doubt uh, these companies are increasing with popularity And these online telehealth services are actually addressing a real gap in the market. And at the moment, they really look set to grow and to continue to flourish. Some of them are even now expanding into women's health. But at the end of the day, it's only for those that can afford it. So my final thoughts on the topic is that unless we can have similar services 
that become Medicare abatable or the regulations change in some way, it's likely that these GP services will remain the success stories of this incredibly patchily regulated uh, system where it's being run by this entrepreneurial and private sector. Well, thanks, Francine, for sharing that story with us. It's um, fascinating, and it'll be interesting to see how that develops because telehealth is you know, where everything's headed. You're most welcome, Felicity. That's it for this week. As always, there'll be a new episode out next Monday. But in the meantime, make sure you subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're new, you can go back in time and listen to some of our other shows. And you can also get in touch with us if you have any thoughts, comments, or ideas about the show. Catch you next time.